Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Friday, December the 17th, 2021. It is currently 3.20 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live once again from the empty sanctuary of Victory Baptist Church located right here in Ovalo, Texas. And before I do anything else, let me thank every single person who has taken some time to send us a financial gift here at the end of the year to support not only what we do here on the Theology Central podcast, but obviously to support what we do right here inside this church. Remember, the podcast is a part of this church, so whenever you give, the money goes directly to the church. It does not come directly to me. In fact, if you go to theologycentral.net and hit the Donate tab, that goes directly to the church account. It does not come to my personal account does not go to my bank in any way, shape, or form. It goes to the church. And I just really want to thank anyone and everyone who has uh, given a gift. It doesn't matter if it's $5, doesn't matter if it's a dollar, doesn't matter if it's $2, doesn't, it doesn't matter this, the uh, size of the gift. We are grateful. I am humbled by it. Whenever I, whenever I get the email letting me know that, you know, we received another financial, you know, donation to, to the ministry, I'm always... I'm 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 always a little overwhelmed because I feel like okay someone just sacrificed their hard earned money to send it to this ministry so I better make sure I'm giving them something in a sense worth their money I'm hoping I'm 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 you know putting their money to good use and they are benefiting from the ministry so I always feel like okay you know how many how many more how many more episodes do I need to do to ensure that they they feel like that they they put their money in a, a right place so thank you very much I'm humbled I'm honored and I greatly appreciate it to every single person who has given and I really I want to make this very clear if if you go and you give $1 $2 whatever the case may be I want you to make it I want to make it very clear that is just as significant as as important uh, as those who give more, because you are taking whatever amount of money you give, that's your hard-earned money. That's your money in a sense, and you've given it to us. And I know all things ultimately belong to God, but you you understand that it definitely doesn't belong to this church. It definitely do, doesn't belong to us. And you earned it, and then you you share a part of that with us. And I, I want to I'm going to do everything I can to to make sure that we use it to the best of our ability to continue to try to minister to as many people as possible. And just thank you so very much. I just wanted to get that out of the way. I have not had the opportunity to email anyone. Uh, I thank you. So I just want to make sure if anyone hears this, thank you so very much. And if you ever, if you ever feel inclined to give, just go to theologycentral.net, hit the donate tab. It's very simple. It's very easy, but do not ever feel any pressure to do so. Do not ever feel any pressure. Um, also, I want to thank the person who I, oh, right before I left uh, to drive to the church, I stopped by our little mailbox that's about a half a block from my house, and there was a box inside of it, and it's full of books. So thank you for the books. I'm going to definitely be using those, and we'll probably be talking about them, and we'll uh, I'll definitely make good use of those. And they'll also ultimately go to the church library, and then hopefully other people can benefit as well. So thanks to everyone. Now, with all of that said, yesterday we spent a little bit of time talking about 2021, looking to 2022, 
but we've got to get back to what we do here. We got to get back to business. And for this particular episode, you know what we're doing. We're returning to our study of Isaiah chapter 9. This is part of our never-ending series, and it will never end until I'm dead. The Bible study exercise where I attempt to get you not to be a... I try to move you from a passive listener to an active participant so that you're actively involved in studying the Bible. We've had some very interesting conversations about Isaiah 9 and our Discord channel. Thanks to everyone who's participating there. Greatly appreciate it. And hopefully... Um, others will uh, want to join the Discord channel as well so they can participate. So if you want, want to do that, email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. And as always, it's free. There, there's nothing you have to, you know, to give to be a part of that. We don't just say, this is only for the people who who support the ministry. I know some podcasters do things like that, but I, I, I know whatever we do, we want to make it available and it's free and free to everyone and that everyone can benefit and everyone can participate. So it's there. If you want to be a part of it, just email me. I'll let you know. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to return to Isaiah chapter 9. And what we are about to do could be, could turn out to be a very, 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 very bad idea but I'm going to do it anyway. If you've been at TheologyCentral.net and if you check the blog section today, you will notice that I embedded there a Bible study from a Greek Orthodox ministry on Isaiah chapter 9. I shared that audio with everyone in the Discord channel. I just I just placed it there. And so what we're going to do, I haven't even, I, now you know how this works. I haven't even listened to it. Here's what happened. I grabbed my iPad, and I went to the Edify Christian Podcast app. I typed in Isaiah 9 and hit episodes and just started going through. Some of the uh, things that they had there did not work. For some reason, the audio didn't play. Either the ministries have removed the audio, whatever the case may be, they did not play. So I'm just going through them, and I'm like, oh, here's one. It's, you know, search the scriptures, Isaiah 9. I'm like, that sounds interesting. I hit play, and I'm like, oh, wait a minute. This is a Greek Orthodox ministry. That could be interesting. So let me grab the audio. And then for the Bible study exercise on Isaiah 9, we'll stop what we're doing and we'll listen to and we'll listen, comment, analyze, review. Well, basically a Greek Orthodox Bible study on Isaiah chapter 9. It could be wonderful. It could be insightful. It could be a train wreck. I don't know. I, I Hopefully, it's beneficial in some way, shape, or form. At least it will do this. Hopefully, it will. I love, what I, one of the things I love to do is every time we do a Bible study exercise, every time you see another, uh, in your podcast app, you see, oh, another episode of the Bible study exercise. Theology Central just put out another Bible study exercise. I hope every time you see one, there's at least a little bit of, well, I don't know exactly what's going to happen today when I listen. I don't know exactly how he's going to approach the text. I don't know if he's just going to ask questions. I don't know if we're going to work through the text. I like there to be a little bit of anticipation, not knowing. And so sometimes bringing in the, you know, a sermon and reviewing a sermon about a particular text, I think that that's always useful, interesting, and at least changes everything up. So are you ready? Isaiah 9, have it open. Have all of your notes open if you've been doing all of the assignments this week. And we're going to start working through an episode of Search the Scriptures. It's a Greek Orthodox podcast. 
and Greek Orthodox radio program from Ancient Faith Radio. I don't think the I don't think they even make any more new episodes. This is I think like from like eight years ago. I don't know. It's from a very long time ago, uh, but it's there on the Edify Christian Podcast app. We're just going to jump in. We're, we're going to listen to this together in real time. So if you are listening live, as always, feel free to jump into the chat using the Spreaker app. You can tell me your thoughts and your opinions. If you are listening live and you don't feel like using the Spreaker app uh, or, or ch- uh, typing in the ch- uh, Spreaker app and you're a part of the Discord channel, please top, uh, type out and share your thoughts in the Discord channel as well. All right. Are you ready? I feel like there's like a million other things we need to talk about. I, I, I guess probably what I'm feeling right now is I feel like, well, should we just grab our Bibles and go to Isaiah chapter 9? And should we just start working through the verses? Should we go all the way back to Isaiah 7 and work all the way to chapter 9? Should we do that? And there's a part of me that says we should, but I don't want to do that. We're just going to, we're going to just set everything we've learned aside and just listen to what they have to say, hear their perspective and see if something like, wait, what are they talking about? Wait, what are they doing? Wait, and I I think we should, well, I'm not going to even say anything. See, I don't want to give us any, I don't want to poison our thinking going in. Let's just listen and see what happens. Isaiah chapter 9, Bible study exercise. This is a Greek Orthodox Bible study podcast on Isaiah 9. It's not very, it's, it's only about 30 minutes long, so they can't go they can't go too in depth, but it'll be interesting to see how they break the chapter down and if they offer some you know wild perspective that we haven't even considered. All right, here we go. Welcome to Search the Scriptures with Dr. Eugenia Constantinou, adjunct professor at the University of San Diego. Our aim is to provide interesting and accessible Orthodox Bible study for busy people. Presbytera Jeannie Constantinou is an author and speaker on matters of theology, scripture, and the Church Fathers. Here's Jeannie. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Illumine our hearts, O Master who loves mankind, with the pure light of thy divine knowledge, and open the eyes of our minds to understand thy gospel teachings. Implant in us also the fear of thy blessed commandments, that trampling down all carnal desires, we may enter upon a spiritual manner of living, both thinking and doing such things that are well-pleasing to thee. For thou art the illumination of our souls and bodies, O Christ our God, and to thee we ascribe glory, together with thy Father who is from everlasting, and thine all-holy and good and life-giving Spirit, now and ever, and unto the ages of ages. Amen. Welcome, dear brothers and sisters, to Search the Scriptures. I'm Dr. Jeannie Constantinou, here on Ancient Faith Radio, and this is Lesson 115 in our Introduction to the Bible. And we are continuing our discussion of Isaiah, Chapter 9, and this very famous Messianic prophecy, Chapter 9, Verses 5 and 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. His name will be called Angel of Great Counsel. For I shall bring peace upon the rulers, peace and health by him. Great shall be his government, and of his peace there is no end. 
So again, we talked about last. Okay, a couple of things. First, if you look, and this is just a, a, a mistake all kinds of podcasters make, um, you know, the title there, if you just look at the title in the Edify Christian Podcast app, you just think it's over the entire chapter. There's nothing indicating, oh, it's only going to be covering verses, she said five and six, but I think she meant six and seven. Um, it's, it's, it, there's nothing there. So I would have had no way of knowing. Again, I, I know what you're saying. That's why you need to listen to it first. No, 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 no. I don't because then I, I don't want this to be rehearsed. I like it to be real. So somewhat already starting off disappointing because I wanted to see how they worked one, two, three, four, and five to get us to six and seven. But I'm assuming since this is a continuation that they will at least review and summarize what they did with verses one through five and then what they refer to as the messianic prophecy, what they do in verse six and seven. You'll notice, interesting, the translation they used. Um, there was, well, we'll see, we'll, we'll see if you pick it up. You may have already picked it up because they immediately got, wait, what? How are they translating that? That, that That's interesting. So we'll, we'll just keep that in mind. I have an Orthodox, a Greek Orthodox study Bible, but I do not know where it is. I should have brought it with me, but um, it's, it's somewhere in stacks and stacks of books somewhere. But um, because then I would have had their translation, but that, that kind of, I think they insert the word angel there in verse six. I think they insert the word angel, which is interesting. So just something to, to I, I think I heard that right. I almost want to back it up, but we won't back it up because I, I, I want us to at least, I don't know. I, I know I probably shouldn't even think that I can finish this in one episode, but I'm going to try because there's other sermons we would like to review as well. But let, let's, uh, well, I'm assuming they're going to read it again. And then, well, if they are using the word angel, it'll be interesting to see where and see maybe if we can figure out why. Um, and we'll just see what they do with if, if they put this in any context with chapter seven and chapter eight, and uh, if they address verses one through five. So here we go. Time how the translation here, I was just reading from the Orthodox Study Bible, which is the New King James Version of the Bible, how that wording is a little bit different than what we might have if we were reading from another translation. He was sometimes called the messenger of the great opinion or the great council of angels etc. Everlasting Father, the Mighty God, Prince of Peace, all of these beautiful statements we have discussed in the Fathers, and they are very important prophecies which explain to us both the humanity and the divinity of Christ. After we finish discussing what the Fathers have to say about this passage, I have a beautiful Christmas sermon of St. John Chrysostom that I would like to share with you. Now let's go ahead and take a look at first. Okay, now they're saying they're using the New King James, and I don't see that in the New King James. I'm going to back it up because I don't know why I thought they said angel. I don't know why. I'm going to back this up. I know it's going to, it's probably going to be hard to get this exactly where we want to get it, but that's okay. All right, let's see if we are far enough back. Here we go. Faith Radio, and this is lesson 115 in our introduction to the Bible. And we are continuing our discussion of Isaiah chapter 9. And this very famous messianic prophecy, chapter 9, verses 5 and 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. His name will be called Angel of Great Counsel. For Angel of Great Counsel. 
angel of great counsel, that is not in the New King James Version. That's not in the King James Version. Angel of great counsel. I'm going okay, to go through every English translation here. Right? Not in the New, uh, New International Version. Not in the New Living Translation. Not in the ESV. Not in the Berean Study. Not in the King James. Not in the New King James. Not in the New American uh, not in the New American Standard 1995, not in the New American Standard 1977, not in the Amplified Bible, not in the Christian Standard Bible, not in the Holman Christian Standard Bible, not in the American Standard Bible, not in the Aramaic Bible in plain English, uh, not, not the, see, this is the Septuagint, the messenger of great counsel. So the Septuagint um, would be messenger of great counsel, and or you could say angel of great counsel. Okay, that's why it would make sense being Greek Orthodox that we'd be, uh, you know, maybe maybe referring to to the Septuagint. That would make sense. Um, but I don't know why she said the New King James. It's not in the Dewey Reams. Yeah, it's it's the the only place this could be actually coming from would have to be uh would have to be the Septuagint. Yeah. Um yeah that yeah nothing I can't find anything else I can't find anything else that even come that even hints at that translation. But Angel of Great Counsel is how they translated it. I don't know why she identifies it as the New King James. I'm I'm still a little baffled by that. So we're already off to a rough start. We're already off to a rough start, but that's okay. That's okay. That's okay. Uh, that's, that's how, that's how we hear different perspectives. So it's going to be interesting to see where this goes. I'm a little, I'm, I'm a little concerned, but we'll see where this goes. I shall bring peace upon the rulers, peace and health by him. Great shall be his government and of his peace. There is no end. So again, we talked about last time how the translation here, I was just reading from the Orthodox Study Bible, which is the New King James Version of the Bible, how that wording is a little bit different than what we might have if we were reading from another translation. He was sometimes called the messenger of the great opinion or the great council of angels, etc. Everlasting Father, the mighty God, Prince of Peace, all of these beautiful statements we have discussed in the fathers and they are very important prophecies which explain to us both the humanity and the divinity of christ after we finish discussing what the fathers have to say about this passage i have a beautiful christmas sermon of saint john chrysostom that i would like to share with you now let's go ahead and take a look at first what augustine has to say about the fact that the lord is called angel of great counsel remember we said that the word angel in greek really means originally simply messenger and because the the heavenly beings the bodiless powers are often sent by the lord to bring messages to humanity this is how they got the name angel so here's saint augustine now, these comments are made actually in the context of comments on Psalm 34. And the truth is we do hear the Lord called angel of the Lord. We've discussed this elsewhere because he's referred to as an angel of the Lord in Exodus and in Genesis, other places in the Old Testament. So 
This is what Augustine is talking about. He's commenting on the verse from Psalm 34. The angel of the Lord shall be round about them that fear him and shall deliver them. So here are Augustine's comments. Whom is he calling here? The angel of the Lord. Who shall be round about them that fear him and whom shall deliver them? Our Lord Jesus Christ himself is called in prophecy the angel of the great council, the messenger of the great council. So the prophets called him. Even he then, the angel of great council, that is, the messenger, shall be around them that fear the Lord and shall deliver them. Do not be afraid then. Whoever has feared the Lord there does that angel know you, who shall send to help you and will deliver you. That's a, that's a lovely sentiment, don't you think? So if you fear the Lord, he is also a kind of an angel in the sense that he is protecting you and will. Okay, this is, this is, okay, I told you this could be a really, 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 really bad idea. All right, we have something interesting developing here, okay? But what's bizarre to me that there's not even an attempt to go, okay, here's how this, this, these verses fit into chapter nine. Like it's, it's like, it's just ignoring the context. I mean, just completely apt, acting like the context doesn't even exist, which is really disturbing. And going with this idea that it's the, the angel of great counsel or a messenger of great counsel. So what I did, what I did is while that audio was playing, I went and grabbed my, uh, what is it called? The Ancient Faith Study Bible. The Ancient Faith Study Bible. And the reason I have the Ancient Faith Study Bible is because all of the study notes are from the church fathers. All of the, all the notes come from the church fathers. And as someone who studies church history, I think it's obviously very valuable. So I grabbed it, turned it to page uh, 805, and looked at the note for uh, Isaiah 9. And guess what they have here? They have a quote from Justin Martyr. All right, so we have Justin Martyr, and this is what he says. Are you ready? Justin Martyr. By calling him the angel of great counsel, and they have LXX there. Now, immediately that tells me, calling him the angel of great counsel, that is in the Septuagint. The Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Hebrew scripture. So, in the Septuagint, I don't know why she said the New King James. I have no idea what she's talking about there. Completely perplexed what's going on here. But but look, I understand. I've got thousands of podcasts out there where I misspeak. I, I make mistakes. So I'm not trying to be super critical, but it just makes no sense. Greek Orthodox... Why would clearly you think they would be referring? You think they would be referring to the Septuagint? You just you think it would just kind of be the default position here, but uh, whatever. So Justin Martyr identifies where this translation comes from. It comes from the Septuagint, all right? Um, or at least the I put it this way: they put it in brackets, the LXX. So I can't say Justin Martyr identified it there. I'm saying the the this. The study Bible is identifying uh, that where this comes from is the Septuagint, which I think we've already, I think I've already been able to, to prove. So in the Septuagint, in this messianic prophecy, 
that we clearly believe is referring to Jesus, he is referred to as the angel of great counsel. Don't immediately go crazy with that. Wait, you can't call Jesus an angel. No, no, you can't be because angels are created. No, no. Okay, slow down. Just remember, angel can just mean messenger. So it'd be messenger of great counsel. Now, here, now I'm going to read everything Justin Martyr said. By calling him the angel of great counsel, did not Isaiah predict that Christ would be a teacher of those truths that he expounded when he came upon this earth? For he alone openly taught the great counsels that the Father intended for those who either were or shall be pleasing to him, as well for those people or angels who withdrew from his will. So the idea that he's called the wonderful counselor is that he is a a messenger uh, of great counsel. He brings the great counsel. He is a messenger of the great counsel of God. He he brings the the counsel of God. He's the he's the he's the great counselor by bringing us the wisdom and the counsel of God. So he, in a sense, he is a messenger in that way. So just remember, angel can just simply refer to as messenger. So so just because some cults could grab onto this and do all kinds of crazy things. So at least you need to be aware of it. In the Septuagint, that seems to be how it is translated and how he is referred to there. So an angel of, of and I'd have to look, open it up again, to, of great counsel, messenger of, of great counsel or messenger of, of the counsel that comes from God. That's that's all it's saying. So don't panic. Don't get confused. I, I, I am confused that they didn't even bother to put this in any form of context. And they should immediately, immediately, immediately oh, we're, let's just, let's look at what the church fathers have to say. This is, this is very, very important, right? And now we're going to get very practical here, okay? Because I'm going to make sure, look, I'm going to do everything in my power that no matter how bad this is, you're going to get something from this. So listen to me carefully. There has, there, there are, within Christianity, people always run to extremes, right? And, and, and these extremes never benefit anyone. And they're usually hurtful and they're, they usually are a corruption of, of really a, a correct understanding. Well, let me explain how people go to an extreme when it comes to studying the Bible. One extreme is, and, and, and it sounds spiritual, all I need is me, the Bible, and the Holy Spirit. I don't need theology. I don't need commentaries. I don't need church history. I don't need Greek. I don't need Hebrew. I don't need a historical context. I don't need a Bible dictionary. It's me, God, it's me, the Bible and the Holy Spirit, and he will lead me into all truth. He will open my eyes. That's all I need. And that sounds so super spiritual, but we know how utterly absurd that is. Well, one, I don't believe the Holy Spirit is leading you into all truth. I believe that was directed towards the disciples and the people who would write the New Testament, because obviously if the Holy Spirit was leading us into all truth, well, then there would be unity within Christianity. But clearly there's not. And not only if he's leading you into all truth, then by the time you die, you would have reached all truth, which clearly that doesn't happen as well. So, I mean, I mean, we, we could go, we could just give examples, examples of people in the past that we think were great Christians who died in many cases, believing something that you don't, you disagree with. There, there were great Christians of the past who died believing in infant baptism, which I completely reject. 
There are, there are other people who are great Christians who died not believing in infant baptism. So if you, if you believe in infant baptism, then they did not die reaching all truth. So the Holy Spirit's not guiding us into all truth. I completely reject that. And I also reject the idea that if it's just you, the Bible, and whatever you perceive is guiding you, you're going to figure it all out. There's things in the Bible that the only way you're going to understand is you've got to have some historical context. Well, you don't, you're not always given that historical context unless you read commentaries, Bible dictionaries, Bible encyclopedias. You, you, you got, gather information from all sources. So there's one extreme that basically, I don't need any of that. Just me, the Bible, and the Holy Spirit. There is another extreme where basically you read the Bible and then you immediately look at, well, what did the church father say? What did this commentary say? The approach always is open your Bible, read it, study it, use Bible study methods for observation, right? Outline, all those kinds of things. Observation, 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 observation. Then you start doing cross-referencing. Then you start looking up definition of words. Then you, you, you look up, you know, the Hebrew, Greek. You start gathering all of those basic information through observation. Then you then expand out and start looking in all of the reference tools you can find, commentaries, dictionaries, encyclopedia. It's like there's, there's either one extreme you rely almost solely on study notes or your favorite pastor or a study Bible, or the other extreme is you don't rely on anything other than you and, and the Holy Spirit. It's got to be a balanced approach. You need good Bible study skills, good hermeneutical skills, and good reference tools. And But you have to first study the text yourself, then look elsewhere. So their approach is, okay, hey, we're going to read, When I, if I said Hebrews, I apologize, Isaiah 9. Uh, and I, I was thinking Hebrews because... Uh, you have to know the historical context of Hebrews or it doesn't make any sense. And the only way you're going to understand that is by looking at the historical context of the book. But all right, I, I, I could go through a whole lesson on that. But in Isaiah 9, what's interesting is what we just heard is, okay, we're going to read Isaiah 9, 6. All right, what did, what did uh, Augustine have to say? Just immediately go to the Father without trying to provide us any context. Now, I'm not saying you can put this context all together without those commentaries, but I'm saying you first look at it and start asking questions and start trying to figure it out, then move to those commentaries. So, um, yeah, it's just, it's interesting. No, no context is provided, nothing. Just, they're, they're focused on that phrase, the, the angel of, of counsel, of great counsel. That's what they're focused on, right? Even though they, okay, yeah. We'll, we'll just continue with them and see where they go. Deliver you. Now, similar to this, Augustine also discusses the fact that Christ himself was also called a prophet, and he discusses this in his tractates on the Gospel of John. We also talked about in last week's lesson how this idea of the Lord as a messenger of the Father, hence an angel of the Father, is especially prevalent in the New Testament in the Gospel of John because of the frequency with which Jesus speaks about having been sent by the Father to do the Father's will. So it is also here in the Gospel of John that some people say about Jesus, is this the prophet? Could he be the prophet? And that's because Moses had made a prophecy that someone would come after him who would do greater things than he did. 
And this is, of course, what Jesus did. So he fulfills this prophecy. The Jews were very familiar with the fact that someone would come after Moses, a prophet even greater than Moses. So this is what Augustine is talking about here. And then he talks about angel of the great council. So here is St. Augustine. Lastly, what did those men who saw this miracle think? The men, he said, when they had seen the sign which he had done, said, This is indeed a prophet. Perhaps they still thought Christ to be a prophet for this reason, namely that they were sitting on the grass. He's talking about the, the, the miracle that the Lord had done was the multiplication of the loaves. But he was the Lord of the prophets, the fulfiller of the prophets, the sanctifier of the prophets, but yet also a prophet. For it was said to Moses, I will raise up for them a prophet like unto thee, like according to the flesh, but not according to the majesty. And that this promise of the Lord is to be understood concerning Christ himself is clearly expounded and read in the Acts of the Apostles. And also the Lord says of himself, a prophet is not without honor, except in his own country. So isn't this interesting how Augustine is bringing together various parts of Scripture, talking about how the Lord is also a prophet in a sense, and how he explains this prophecy of Moses, that he will raise up a prophet, that the Lord will bring a prophet like you. What does that mean, like you, in his humanity? And this is also a prophecy of the fact that the Lord, the, the prophet would be also human, not just divine. I, I don't know exactly. I mean, it, I, it's true. I, I, everything they're saying there is, I understand that there's the, pro, the prophecy of a, the prophet coming and Jesus is the fulfillment of that prophecy of the prophet. I do understand that. I don't know exactly why you would go there from Isaiah 9. I, I'm not quite, <laughs> I'm not quite sure how that helps us understand Isaiah 9, but okay. All right, all right great. I, I, we got another quote from Augustine. That's always, that's always a good thing. You, you can't go wrong, wrong reading Augustine, can you? I mean, all right. It, it, I'm not saying I agree with everything Augustine ever said, but I'm saying there's always great value in reading his writings. But all right, so I, I just... All right, I, I, this is supposed to be about Isaiah 9. I'm still a little perplexed, but okay, let, let's continue. The Lord is a prophet, and the Lord is God's word, and no prophet prophecies without the word of God. The word of God is with the prophets, and the word of God is a prophet. The former times obtained prophets inspired and filled by the word of God. We have obtained the very word of God for our prophet. What a beautiful sentiment. Don't you love that? What a wonderful insight by St. Augustine. Before the word of God came to the prophets, and this is how we know that someone is a prophet in the Bible. It will say, the word of the Lord came to so-and-so. The word of the Lord came to Isaiah. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. When you hear that phrase, it means that this person was a prophet. The word came to him. But we have the word himself. 
continuing with Augustine here, but Christ is in such manner a prophet, the Lord of the prophets, just as Christ is an angel, the Lord of the angels. For he is also called the angel of great counsel. Nevertheless, what the prophet says elsewhere, that not an ambassador nor an angel, but himself coming will save them. That is, he will not send an ambassador to save them, nor an angel, but he himself will come. Who will come? The angel himself? Certainly not by an angel will he save them, except that he is so also an angel, who is also the Lord of the angels. Are you following Augustine here? So we could not be saved by an angel. The Lord did not say that he would send an angel like the bodiless powers who do the will of the Lord, who serve the Lord and help us. The angel who would come was the Lord of the angels, and yet he is an angel because he's a messenger of the Father. Okay, But look, how, look at how beautifully he expresses this. That we could not be saved by an angel or by a prophet, and yet the Lord is both of those things and above those things because he is the Lord of the prophets and the Lord of the angels. Continuing with St. Augustine here. For angels signify messengers. If Christ brought no message, he would not be called an angel. If Christ prophesied nothing, he would not be called a prophet. He has exhorted us to faith and to laying hold of eternal life. He has proclaimed something present, foretold something future. Because he proclaimed the present, he was an angel or messenger. Because he foretold the future, he was a prophet. And that as the word of God, he was made flesh. He was also the Lord of angels and of prophets. And elsewhere, you could also see the Lord called an apostle. And okay, I, I kind of see why she read the part here from Augustine about prophet, because he connects it back to the idea of angel. So, okay, it makes a little bit more sense now, uh, but I, I still would like to know how they connect this. I mean, like, how does this all fit in with the rest of the chapter? Because you, you should, anyone reading the chapter and then turning in to search the scriptures, you know, Bible study for pe busy people or whatever their little tagline is, well, you're not really helping anyone because anyone reading Isaiah 9 is like, wait, what, what just happened? Wait, what? Wait, okay, what's going on here? I got light. I got darkness. I got all these things supposedly happening. I got, and then all of a sudden I've got Jacob. I've got... I've got Samaria, what's happening? And it, like, they don't even attempt to even try to put this together. So it's a very interesting approach. And well, I guess that's why we're listening to it. So at least we understand that in the Septuagint, the angel of great counsel, whatever the phrase is, that's how it's used there. And now you understand why. So if anyone ever was to pull that out, you, you're not completely, well, you're not tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. See, that's why we listen to different things so that we are confronted with it together and then we can make sure we understand it. So if we're confronted with it later, 
we already have an answer and we already know what we're talking about. And hopefully now you have a better understanding. You probably didn't even, I didn't even, I, to be honest, I've never even heard any discussion about the Septuagint translation here ever. So this is interesting from that perspective. And again, this is something that we're not really familiar with because we identify the apostles as the 12, but the Lord was an apostle because the word apostle means one who is sent. And because the father sent him, he also gets this designation elsewhere. Okay. Now let's see what St. Athanasius has to say about these verses. Now here he's talking, this was his lifelong work. His devotion to the church was to put down the Arian heresy. And I don't think, despite the fact that all the fathers of the church opposed Arianism, the fathers who lived through this heresy, there's no question that Athanasius was the person who was absolutely determined. Athanasius, I think that's, I think we typically refer to as Athanasius. Athanasius, I believe, I, I Either I've been saying it wrong my entire life, okay? Uh, Athanasius, Athanasius. I, I, I've always gone with Athanasius. It clearly has to be who she is referring to, which obviously we, we've done study on Athanasius here or Athanasius. Athanasius. However, now I'm completely like, have I been saying it wrong for years? But I've heard, even in school, I was taught it was Athanasius. It's not when, so, but I think that's who she is referring to here. Let's continue determined to defeat the Arian heresy and devoted his entire life to it, suffered greatly for his stance against Arianism. So, of course, here again, his comments are against the Arians. Now, he's talking about the fact that the Lord is called Father of the World to Come, or Father of the Coming Age, as this translation has it. And why are we calling the Son the Father? Okay, we talked about that a little bit before. Is He will discuss this. But my point is this. Why is he talking about this? Because one of the reasons why the Arians, the Arian heresy, that's remember that's spelled A-R-I-A-N. That's not like the Arians, the Nazis. We're not talking about that kind of Arianism. But the Arian heresy taught that the Son of God was not equal to the Father. He is a creature. He was created by God the Father. Now, this is impossible, because then he's not God. If he's a creature, then he's like us, a creature, and he's not God. If he's not fully God, if he's not equal to God the Father in his divinity, then he cannot save us. It also means that there was no such thing as an incarnation, what we celebrate here at Christmas. But one argument that the Arians gave for saying that he's not the same and equal in his divinity as God the Father, is because he's called the Son. And so the famous phrase which Arius said was, there was a time when the Son was not. In other words, there was a time when the Son of God did not exist. And he uses the terminology of Father and Son to arrive at the conclusion that there was a time when the Son of God did not exist. Well, it now let's make it very clear. Arius and Arianism, well, not only, it was condemned, obviously, in the early church, but it still exists today because you've got cults like the Jehovah's Witnesses who would say that Jesus was the first thing created by the Father, that Jesus was created, that he's not the God, he's a God, the first 
creation of God. And so that brings that heresy into the modern time. So if you ever meet a Jehovah's Witness, their theological lineage goes back to Arianism and Arius. That's that's where an Arian, and that goes back to that whole concept of that time. And uh, well, we could talk more about that, but it is good that they're mentioning this. Again, it's just bizarre that it's almost like the rest of Isaiah doesn't even exist in their Bible study. It's like, well, let's just focus on these words. Let's ignore chapter 7, chapter 8, chapter 9. Let's not even worry about how this fits into any context at all. Let's just look at these, these phrases, which I, I understand that's val- valuable, but you have to put it into context with everything else as well. But okay, let's continue. If there was any time that he did not exist, then he's not God because God is eternal. You see, now this this is human logic at work, and he is using human terminology. We use words to describe God the Father. We we call him Father. We call the Son the Son. But this doesn't mean that at one point God the Father was alone, and then he decided to have a son. And therefore, the son came into existence. But that was the Arian argument because of the terminology father and son that we use for these two persons of the Holy Trinity. That was their argument. Well, look, obviously, he didn't always exist because he's called the son. You know, sons come into existence at a certain point of time. So this is what Athanasius is addressing and brilliantly using this passage from Isaiah to refute the Arian heresy. So listen to these words of the great Athanasios, the Bishop of Alexandria. For his only begotten son might be called father by his father, yet not in the sense in which you, in your error, might perhaps understand it. But while the son of the father that begat him is the father of the coming age the father of the world to come. For it is necessary not to leave any of your suppositions open to you. Well then, he says by the prophet, a son is born and given to us, whose government is upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called angel of great counsel, mighty God, ruler, father of the coming age. The only begotten Son of God, then, is at once the Father of the coming age, and mighty God and ruler. It is shown clearly that all things whatsoever the Father has are his, and that as the Father gives life, the Son likewise is able to give life to whom he will. So he's saying a couple of things here. First of all, that the terminology Father and Son cannot be used to disprove the Godhead of the Son, the the divinity of the Son of God. And also that here in the Isaiah prophecy, the child which is born is everlasting. Okay? That he is mighty God, the everlasting God, father of the world to come. So in within this rich Isaiah prophecy, St. Athanasius finds a great many tools to use against the Arian heresy to prove the eternal existence of the Son of God and his equality with the Father. Now, to wrap up this whole little section. 
Okay. I don't know if that was the most clear argument. I, I think there you could probably find other things from Athanasius to try to un, to explain it. Just remember, and, and I'll just just briefly so that you understand, or, or just or just to be reminded, most of you probably already know this. Arius, if you don't know, um, he he's obviously was best known for the doctrine of Arianism. And he was born in 256 AD, died around 336 AD. And he, I mean, the, I mean, one of the biggest heresies in the early church. And one of the ideas is basically destroying the deity of Christ and basically teaching that Christ was a created being. He wasn't the eternal son of God. There was a time he did not exist and the father created him. And Athanasius argued no one God, three distinct persons, co-equal, co-eternal, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and that, that they are, there's a distinction in persons, but there is an equality. They are equal in their deity, right? They're one God, three distinct persons. And we, we, could, we could spend all day talking about this, but the idea is that he's the, the angel of great counsel or wonderful counselor, he is the mighty God. He is referred to as the mighty God and the everlasting father that the son is, it's, he's not the father. He is distinct in his persons, but he is in himself the father of an age to come or the father of eternity. The idea that he is eternal and that he is the father of an age to come because he himself is eternal. So I, that's, that's kind of a, a good way of at least trying to understand that as it relates to uh, Arius and Arianism and that entire heresy that was such a major threat to early Christianity. All right, let's continue. Of Isaiah, this little, these couple of verses from Isaiah chapter 9, I'm going to read to you an excerpt from Bishop Nikolai Vilomirovich, who is one of our modern fathers of the church. Very, very beautiful excerpt. I hope you enjoy it. Here he is explaining how the various images that we see here employed by Isaiah point to the fact that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of these prophecies. Is there a mortal man in the whole of human history to whom it is possible to apply all these titles, this power and this glory? There is no one. Therefore, St. John Chrysostom says, quote, This cannot be held to apply to any other than Christ. Unquote. The prophet here clearly expresses the two natures of the Savior of the world, the human and the divine. A child is born. This speaks of human nature. A son is given. This united the two natures in the one person. The Son of God, who is the Son of the Virgin, in the person of the incarnate Lord. The other titles refer to the divine nature of the Lord Jesus. His government is upon his shoulders. That is, the government is his, his own, and is not delegated to others. Mighty counsel. 
the Holy Trinity. What else? The angel, or messenger, or herald of this triune council is the Son of God, the pre-eternal Word. Wonderful Counselor, for all that is wonderful, all that is new, comes to the human race from Him and through Him. The Mighty God. What would Arius say to that and his modern followers who deny the divinity of the Lord Jesus? Do you think that maybe Bishop Nikolai was reading St. Athanasius? Maybe so. He's making the same point. Who are the modern followers of Arius that deny the divinity of the Lord Jesus? The Jehovah's Witnesses. Now they will tell you that they believe the Lord Jesus is God, but they will say he's an adopted God. He didn't exist eternally, so they're really followers of the Arian heresy. The Prince of Peace, for his is an enduring peace. Outside him is war, without and within, the everlasting Father. He is the Lord of the future, as he is of the past, and he is, further, the Father of the Church, the creator of the new world, the founder of the kingdom of God. Isn't that beautiful, Bishop Nikolai Vilimirovich? Now, we're going to close our lesson today with a homily by St. John Chrysostom on the Nativity of our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ. And this homily was delivered in Antioch around the year 380 when he was a priest. In Okay, we'll stop right there. For you to hear that homily, go to theologycentral.net, go to the blog section. Once the audio begins... Just fast forward it about 21 minutes, 24 seconds into it, 21 minutes, 24 seconds, and then you can lis- listen to the remainder. I embedded the audio there from the Search the Scriptures uh, website. So um, you can you can listen to it there, and obviously then they, they'll get that. Well, I don't even know if they're making any uh, episodes anymore. It may be a discontinued podcast, but uh, if they're still looking at their streams, then they'll get the, uh, the, the account for their streams. So we obviously want to to do that. So go listen to that. And then if you have any comments about the homily, let me know. But that was, I, I hope that was beneficial. I'm, I don't like the fact that they just basically ignored everything else around it and just focused in. But a lot of people ask a lot of questions about Isaiah 9, verse 6 and 7. They didn't really go much into the government concept. They just went like, oh, you know, he's in charge. All the government belongs to him. He's in charge of the government. I, okay. You could, you could kind of make an argument there. Um, but I just think it's interesting that it says, uh, that the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So we either just kind of say, well, he's in charge of all government. That's all it means. Or you try to say, I mean, there's lots of different approaches throughout church history. Okay. He's just in charge of government. Don't, there's nothing else there. Others will say, no, 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 no. He's, that, that's him referring to being in charge of the church. And then others will say, no, this is a promise of a coming 
kingdom where his government will rule and reign over all of man's attempts to rule and reign, and he will sit in the throne in Jerusalem, and that will be the millennial kingdom. So there's very different approaches to this, um, and just so that you are aware, but um, there you go. That I, I, I hope that was interesting. It is I, it is interesting to hear kind of a Greek Orthodox approach. And by listening to it, we are at least now familiar with the issue in the Septuagint referring to uh, him as the angel of great counsel. The angel of great counsel. If you see that phrase, now you kind of identify probably its origin. You kind of understand why it's used and how the church fathers addressed it. So that hopefully will be beneficial. And um, I hope there was something else in that. I I, I wish we, I kind of want to continue on basically going back through it, but I, I just, we'll just leave it there. That that was the goal here. What What is their approach? Let's listen to it. You've heard it. And now we'll see if that sparks more conversation and more discussion. You can always email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. Or as always, if you're a part of the Discord channel, you can put your thoughts and comments there as well. All right. We'll stop there. Um, that was interesting. That I, I hope it turned out to be more beneficial. I was really worried there for a few minutes. Um, there you go. That uh, that's just I don't know. There, there's a that's an interesting approach, but um, you can you can draw your own conclusions about it. All right. So there you go. Thanks for tuning in, and uh, we'll probably do at least one more sermon review on Isaiah nine, and then the goal is Sunday morning at 10 a.m. from the pulpit here at Victory Baptist Church. It's uh, it's Isaiah 9. It's, I think what we're really going to do is just kind of review briefly the first section, and then we're really going to focus in on Isaiah 9, if I go, if I look here, starting in verse 8 and following. I think that's where I'm going to put my emphasis, uh, but we we will see how that all develops, and we'll see what else we, we cover here, because I know I'll be here tomorrow doing live broadcast as well. Uh, so we'll just see how everything develops between now and Sunday and uh, what your thoughts and comments are. So let me know. Hopefully that was beneficial. If it was, let me know. If you didn't think it was beneficial, feel free to let me know that as well. All right, everyone have a great day. I'll be back on the air here shortly. God bless.